Miracy. So the niche to me is the smallest definition I can come up with that defines what kind of work I do and with whom that a target client could recognize themselves by hearing. Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. My name is Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console. The Coaches Console has supported more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching businesses. In this episode, my guest and I are going to talk about a difficult conversation that you might need to have with yourself so that you can build a great business. However, some coaches, especially the newer ones, might find this difficult. Today's conversation is going to answer the question, why you might need to define your niche. And to answer that question, I've invited a seasoned and sought-after executive business coach and course creator, Sharon Richmond. Sharon is a C-level coach for executives in early stage and mid-sized companies. She's a published author, international speaker, and teacher of leadership and interpersonal competency at Stanford University. Welcome, Sharon. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, Melinda. I'm so excited to have you on for this topic, and it is so nice to meet you. Now, Sharon, you call yourself an accidental consultant. I want to know about that. So let's start with your background. You became a coach before coaching schools were widely available. Is that right? That is right. So I was at the business school at Stanford when I decided, so this was in the mid 80s, that I was really interested in working with organizations on how they change and with leaders on how they lead change. And at that time, I followed the advice of all the career guidance to go do some informational interviews. And rather than finding organizations with positions, which your normal 28 or 29-year-old would do, I ended up meeting people who would say, oh, that's really interesting. You know, I don't know any jobs like that, but I have a project you could do. So I was an accidental consultant right out of business school. It wasn't my plan, but it's worked out really well. Now, how did you start your coaching career? Well, One of the early projects that I was engaged on was a very large scale organization change project that was being led by a seasoned organization development specialist in one of the large West Coast utility companies. We conducted an employee survey of all 26,000 employees in this organization, and then results were compiled for each manager of each group. So we had, you can imagine, hundreds of managers that needed to understand the data from their groups, what was working, what wasn't, whether they understood the strategy, how they felt about their leadership, what they thought could be improved in their group. And the way we did that was one-on-one coaching with those managers, first to interpret that data and then to help them prepare to present it to their teams and lead interactive groups of problem solving. So I was trained, I like to uh, describe it as in the apprenticeship model. The woman that taught me coaching, guided me, supervised me, watched me. And as I gathered the necessary skills, I started coaching uh, more and more senior leaders in the organization. So, So that was how I got started. And that was in 
I want to say maybe 1989 or 1990. So, so at that time, I think coaching wasn't really thought of as a full profession, or at least there weren't the number of coach training programs that we now have. Yeah. I mean, that was in the very early days of coaching as an industry. It was just in those uh, late eighties, early nineties when it was really coming about. So now fast forward, and now you're working as a C-level executive coach. Like what areas do you specifically work in right now? I mostly work with executives on their own leadership capabilities, particularly up-leveling as they grow through their executive ranks. And how do they shape the culture of their organizations? And how do they build really terrific executive teams that can provide the leadership to companies that help them scale quickly, grow rapidly, make moves on their markets that are necessary? So it's a great blend for me of the business background and my early psychology background. So let's come to today's topic. How did you come to the conclusion that narrowing your focus was the best thing for your business? So, you know, Melinda, like a lot of people who are accidental consultants or now even think of them as contract employees, initially I was, I think like a lot of people, happy to do whatever work came my way as long as it was roughly in the scope of how does an organization grow and change? What do its employees need in order to be more effective and more satisfied in their work? What do the leaders need in terms of building stronger teams? So early on, and again, I think this is very typical for folks just starting out in consulting or in coaching, that we do the work that comes our way and we're happy for referrals and there's an opportunistic feeling. What happened, I guess, over it was probably over a period of about 10 years, I started noticing that the kinds of projects coming my way were a little bit all over the map. And it was making it really hard for me to leverage intellectual property that I'd been developing in one engagement to apply to another. There just wasn't enough consistency. So in the consulting days, it started to look really obvious. I want to say maybe it was about 20 years ago that I decided I wasn't going to do all kinds of organization change. I was primarily going to focus just on how leaders should be leading the changes in their organization. And it felt like a narrowing. There were quite a number of kinds of projects that would come to my transom and I would turn them away. It was really hard in the early days. I'm sure you could relate. But in order to continue to build the depth of expertise, I chose this notion of narrowing to just the leadership aspects. Well, of course, the minute I walked through that door that felt like a narrowing door, it opened an enormous trove, a treasure trove of information about leaders. And it allowed me to get deeper into my own learning and my own practice of what do the most successful leaders do? What differentiates them from others? So that narrowing, even though in the beginning felt like a limitation, it served several purposes, one of which was, as I said, to deepen my own expertise. But the other reason, and the thing that I think is most relevant for our coach audience is it allows clients to find me and know that I'm someone that works with people just like them. And that turns out to be the biggest thing. The clarity allows, it's less about how we are putting ourselves out there, but more so about how they find us when we can have that clarity of the way we define this. Now, can you explain in more detail how you define niche 
as it relates to coaches in our audience? Well, I guess I think of it as who is my target audience? Who am I best positioned to help? And can I define that in such a way that someone listening can clearly say to themselves, that's me? So I describe the people that I work with as C level executives that speaks for itself in midsize and smaller companies facing challenges of growth or expansion primarily. And then the second thing I describe is the kind of leader. The leaders that work best with me are those who have already done a bit of self-development. So the niche to me is the smallest definition I can come up with that defines what kind of work I do and with whom that a target client could recognize themselves by hearing. Yeah, I love that so that they can say, oh, that's me. She's describing me. That's my, that's my experience. And I love that how in your definition, when you were talking about the executives they work with, you spoke about the challenges that they face. And that is what I have found, because you're right, early on, when we're told to focus on one area or narrow down, the last thing that we want to do is narrow the people that we want to help. Our enthusiasm wants us working with more people and often our bank account wants us working with more people. And like you said, it's hard to turn away those people that don't fit in that niche because we're falsely thinking we're losing opportunities. Uh, And I have found that rather than describing the type of person as being the niche, so many people get hung up on demographics and characteristics and attributes as the niche. But really, it's the challenges. What are the challenges that the kind of people you love working with, what are they struggling with? What are the results that they want to get and the transformations that they want to experience? So that the most important thing is the person on the other end says, I want that, or I'm experiencing those challenges, and they can have that moment where they're identifying it. Right. I think that's what we're doing. We're appealing to identity, and we're targeting value. What value are they going to get? What problems are they facing? So I think that's exactly right. The challenges that executives, C-level executives face are more similar to one another than different. And then the more that I have focused my work in this niche, and that's now for the last 15 or so years, the more stories I have to share, the more examples I can offer. It improves my ability to communicate with the people that might want to work with me. And it also improves my credibility with them, right? Because I have stories to tell. They can tell that I'm not just making this up along the way. So I think one of the things that, and I think this is true sometimes for coaches early on in their careers, they're reluctant to tell stories. And sometimes it's even hard to define that value. What is the value that that client is leaving with? So, you know, like a lot of us, I like to put it into my client's words. And as they define it and describe it themselves, I can then repeat it to other clients. So helped me figure out clarity as I was laying out my three-year plan. Helped me identify executives that were underperforming and learn how to give them more direct feedback so they could grow more quickly. Learned how to fire people without so much anguish when it had to be done. Things like that, the pain points that are common, how to manage my board building a company that has a unique culture, for example. And that's really what it's about, identifying those common pain points, those common challenges. 
I love how you said it, targeting value. That when we're talking about niche, it's less about leaving out people and more about helping those folks resonate with us, find us, and understand the value that they'll get when they work with us. Yeah, I think, I don't know, Melinda, I'm going to, if it's okay, I'm going to tell you a short personal story about my journey here. So it was true of me for a very long time that like a lot of consultants and coaches, solopreneurs of all kinds, I really did not like marketing. And I just, I viewed it as this onerous task that I had to do. And it did take me quite a while to work through my own resistance and barriers to that. And that's mostly what kept me from being willing to define a niche is that I wasn't confident enough or clear enough myself to be able to describe the who and the why of my practice. So it really took a dear friend and colleague, Danny Eney, whom you know well, to help me rethink my own definition of what marketing meant. And it very much converted into how can I tell people the value that I offer so that they can decide for themselves, is that the value I need? And it changed the entire perspective of marketing and pitching business, if you will, to clients from something that felt yucky and onerous to something that feels generous and warm. It's a conversation that I now have no trouble having And I sure wish I had learned it earlier in my coaching career. Yeah, that perspective shift. I had a similar experience. When I had that perspective shift, I too was more open. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's more possibilities. I'm not narrowing and limiting and putting myself in a box or confining myself when I define my niche. I'm opening myself to even more possibilities. And it's also what makes marketing easier. Now you're not having to convince people that what you do, like you said, now you have these stories that lead by example and the stories tell and you don't have to sell. And it's a beautiful thing when you have this clarity of who you work with. I think that's right. And my real desire is to help those clients find me and sort through quickly whether or not I seem like a good fit for them. I want them to be able to go to my website and get a quick take of, is she the kind of person that I could trust to help me with this challenging journey. Now, let me ask you this. When coaches are defining their niche, what should they think about? I think we've touched on it, but I really want to focus because a lot of coaches, I was going to say newer coaches, but I see so many seasoned coaches missing out on this as well. What should they think about when defining their niche? It's a great question. So I think the first thing to focus on is What kind of results do your clients get from you, whether they knew that's what they were getting or not? Start out figuring what value you're delivering. And when you can describe it again in their words, that's the first step, I think, is sort of knowing what you're good at and then recognizing where you like to work. Where do you have a passion and an interest? Where do you have experience that you can build off of? I know coaching now has become such a broad industry and a broad field that you can find coaches that specialize in, I think, quite narrow areas. For example, someone who works just with people who have pets that suffer from separation anxiety. That's what they know about. That's what they care about. That's what they want to work with. And they let themselves be known as 
That's my area of expertise. And then how do I find the people with those pain points? So that's not what an executive coach might define, but it's a different kind of niche and it's perfectly good niche. The other thing I would add when it comes to what should you think about when defining your niche is what we were talking about earlier. What are the common challenges that clients face, the people that you love working with? What are those struggles? What are their frustrations? And identifying those common points, because that will also help articulate who you love working with so that they can self-identify and say, I think you can help me. Uh, But those are, are good things to keep in mind. And Sharon, let me ask you this. Why would a coach be reluctant to narrow their focus? Like, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, you know, I think there are a number of reasons. The first one we touched on already, which is when you're just starting into the industry, unless you're working internally or as a subcontracted coach, you're just looking to build up a book of work, which is completely reasonable. I don't want to cut off any possibilities. I don't want to lose any opportunities. But as I said, I think that's a little bit of a, I lost the word, shoot. Well, it's fear-based. I do think think. that's fear-based. I think afraid of not getting more work, afraid if I turn this one down, I might not get another one, which of course never happens Mm -hmm. or virtually never happens. There might be some other reasons. People that have multiple areas of interest and find the variety in their practice really enjoyable may believe, again, not necessarily based in fact, but may have a belief that it won't be as interesting. If I narrow, I'll be dealing with the same challenges over and over again. I don't find that to be true personally, but there are some commonalities. And, you know, you said something earlier I just want to bring out because I see this happen with a lot of newer coaches. It happened with me and a lot of the people that we coach. You know, another way that resistance will present itself is when you said earlier, initially, I wasn't as confident or clear enough to really even define the type of person I wanted to work with. And so therefore, I was reluctant to define the niche. It had little to do about who you were working with and more about you were still gaining the clarity yourself. And so there was that uncertainty within you. Yes, I think that is true. And that's one area where having a coach of our own is so helpful. So most coaches, I hope, are practicing having a coach themselves as an ongoing business support, I certainly do. And I find it invaluable for continuing to get outside my own limitations and think more broadly about the value I offer, the choices I have in the kind of value I offer. So I do think that's helpful. I had one other thought, which was about why people can be reluctant to narrow to a niche. It seemed to me for a long period of time When people would ask me, well, what makes you different as a coach? I had a very hard time defining what are my differentiation factors. And the primary reason, Melinda, was I thought, well, the way I coach is how everybody coaches. Do people really do it that differently? One of the dilemmas is we don't, you know, other than in our training, unless we go out of our way, we don't often have the opportunity to hear how other people coach. And so we may not really fully know the differentiators as clearly. And it did take me quite a while. It was only after I signed up for some advanced coaching training with practicums that I realized listening to and watching other coaches, what it is that I do that is a little different. And that was a big part also of clarifying my niche. It's not just who I work with. It's 
how I work. Your unique approach to what you do and, and the way you work. Now, let me look at it a slightly different way. Are there types of coaches who should not try to specialize or define a niche? Do you ever see a scenario where that's true? Well, that's a really interesting question. I haven't really given that much thought. Let me think about that for a quick sec while we're here together. So I guess there are some areas of specialty that are already so broad. For example, I think change management coaching, it's a very broad area. And the kinds of projects or people one might work with might end up having needs across a wider spectrum. Maybe it doesn't lend itself quite as much to a narrow focus. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I can't really think of a good reason. That reason sounds almost a little lame to me, even as I listen to myself describe it. (laughs) When I think about the way I define niche, when you focus on the challenges and frustrations a collective group has or results that a common group of people want, I really, I was like, no, I think that coach should always try to articulate that because it's what makes the marketing clear. It's what creates that somebody being able to resonate with you and self-identify, hey, I think she can help me. So I, it's just a fascinating question to ponder, I think. It really is. I can't think of a good reason why a coach would not want to have a clear niche. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, should you always coach within your niche? Like, should you stay within your lane? Or can you coach people if it's not in your niche or not in your area of expertise? So I think yes, and I think there's a good reason for doing it. And in fact, I can share from my own practice. So I described to you, I work primarily with C-level executives, but I also have an odd subset of my practice that is working inside of an academic medical center with the physician leaders in that organization. So they don't face exactly the same challenges as your C-level executives do, but they're not radically different. And what I gain from having that, I guess let's call it kind of a side niche, if you will. It's not one that I specifically market to, but it is a niche that working with people in that similar kind of role helps me broaden my own thinking about the kinds of challenges that clients might face. And then I can bring that back to, let's say, the core group of clients. And the other thing is, you know, we're human beings. If we're feeling a little stale or we're feeling like, oh, it's getting to be a little routine. Yeah. Take someone from a different industry or go to a different kind of role or even do some volunteer coaching. I have a a good colleague who has gotten really involved in coaching political representatives very much outside of her normal field of the business leaders. But she decided that she really wanted to give back from her core strength. And so she's been working with a number of volunteer organizations to coach rising political representatives. I think it keeps us fresh. I love how you just, I've never heard it described that way. A little side niche, this little side project is like this thing can exist. And that's something that I've seen as well is that when you have clarity in your niche, doesn't mean you narrow it, you just have clarity. And it's not that it limits you to, I only work with these people, that's it, nothing else. It's just, here's where my marketing is focused. But what I have found is people will read my marketing or hear me present and they'll be like, oh my gosh, Melinda, that sounds so amazing. 
that really doesn't describe me, but I need help with this. Can you help me with that? And then sometimes it's, yes, I have a little side niche here or no, but let me refer you. The way we describe our niche catapults conversations that might open the doors for different possibilities and opportunities. Yes, I love that point, Melinda. And I think that's something worth really emphasizing because of that fear of if I narrow, I might lose out. Right. Now, Sharon, do you have a process that could help our listeners uncover or clarify their niche? Here's what I did. I looked back over the last five years of clients and I looked at a number of different things. I looked at all the demographics, as you might consider, the size of company. If they were in a company, were they in a nonprofit organization? Where were they in the leadership hierarchy? What was their personality type to the extent I had that knowledge? Just looking for clues as to who can I best help. That was kind of me looking backwards. The second thing was I actually sent out a questionnaire to current and recent clients. I did this about two years ago, I think. And I asked them, what's different for you after we worked together than before we worked together? And what do you think we did together that helped that progress take place? And I had a few other questions as well. But out of their responses, it started to become clear to me that there were some things about how I work that I wasn't really that aware of, but my clients were. For example, several of them said, you always give me some concrete practical thing to try between now and the next time we meet. And I really appreciate that tactical practice opportunity. Didn't really think about it, but turns out, yeah, I actually do that in my process, just hadn't really noticed. And another one was a number of people said, you helped me identify emotions that I didn't even know I had and figure out how they were getting in my way. So that's something similar, you know, that kind of introspection and language of intra and interpersonal awareness. So I think asking my clients really helped me a lot. And then I just tried out a number of different descriptions in different contexts, meeting people at a networking event, meeting someone for the first time who was referred to me. I described myself in different ways and I looked at what seemed to resonate and what really didn't seem to. So that helped me as well to kind of fine tune. A big part of what we have to do is we have to try our niche on. Like we think we might have it. And then it just, there's a point in time where we have to try it on. How do we talk about it? How do people, when they hear it, what is the response? And there's a big research component so that we can then fine tune. And for all of our listeners out there that are brand new coaches, you're just getting started. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't have five years of clients. I don't have clients that I can ask. One of the things that I tell our clients is use your own journey to begin to get a, an initial idea about what those might be. So what were your challenges? that you were struggling with? What were your frustrations? What kept you up at night? What are the results that you got? What's different in your life? Let that be your early descriptors of your niche until you can keep working with people and fine tune it over time. So let's summarize, because we have covered a lot today in this episode. Let's summarize a few things. First of all, when we are talking about niche, it's, and I love the way Sharon, you said this, who am I best positioned to help? so that the listener can say, that's me, and they can identify. It's less about the demographics and more about 
the common challenges or the results that they experience. And it's about targeting the value that we provide so that people can resonate with this and decide, I think you can help me. The other thing that we talked about is the things to look at when and think about when defining your niche, right? Those results and how do your clients describe them? Their words and phrasing is so important. And then the other thing that Sharon pointed out was where do you like to work? Who do you like to work with? What are your passions? What are your experiences? And when those can intersect the challenges that the people face, now you've got a group of people that you can work with and what are the results that they want? And then the other thing that we talked about is it's less about the word narrow. I think that's what got me tripped up was using the word narrow. And all of a sudden I felt confined and constrained. And I was like, no, 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 my passion's too big for that. But instead the word that you've heard Sharon uh, and I use a lot in this episode today is clarify. It's just creating clarity. And it, it doesn't mean that you don't work with other people. It means that your marketing can be focused so it resonates with other people and it can actually open doors for what Sharon called a little side niche if you need to have that. And so that when we're talking about narrowing your niche, clarifying your niche, defining your niche, that's really, it's the clarity in who you love to work with, the value and the transformation that you provide so that you can provide it for as many people as possible, as quickly as possible, because the world certainly needs your work today. Sharon, do you have any other parting words you want to share? First, I want to say, Melinda, that was an amazing summary. You did that so incredibly well. And as I was listening to you recap, the one additional thing I thought of was, you know, narrowing your focus helps you increase your specialization which often can transfer into higher rates. And that may not be a driver for everyone, but it's important to recognize that when we have that formula figured out for know, like, and trust, which we often talk about, you know, why clients choose us, they have to know us, like us, and trust us. That credibility and experience is what, you know, they're not paying us by the hour. They're paying us for our accumulated experience, knowledge, and skills, and for the value that they receive. So I think it's important to remember that that's another side benefit, I think, of having a clear area of focus. Absolutely. I'm glad that you got that piece in there. It is very important. So thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Sharon Richmond for this amazing conversation. You can find out more about her at leadinglarge.com. That's leading, L-E-A-D-I-N-G, large, L-A-R-G-E.com. And if you want to learn more about Sharon's online course, head over to another Miracy FM podcast, Course Lab, where you can hear her talk about her course, Becoming Candid. Sharon, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Melinda. It really was a joy. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Miracy FM network, which also includes Course Lab and Making It. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Danny Innie is our executive producer. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance and Cynthia, and Mishi assembled the episode. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. 
And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. And if you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send it to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, at miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E dot com. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.